You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. This is a class on family and marriage, and um, we do have some handouts. I believe that I left them downstairs, so we will bring those up. So I'm just going to review a little bit of what we're going to be looking at, and that will give you some idea of what the studies will consist of and also what we're going to cover It will also allow you time to prepare questions. And uh, so if you have some questions as to the topics or the subject matter, feel free to be able to enter in and ask questions. I am not always able to answer them, but I will try to at some point come back with an answer. So uh, that's how we'll handle it. So Marsha is here. So, we will, if I could have uh, help passing these out, please. We'll go ahead and pass these out. This is just a, a summarization of the class, the goals that we have, and uh, some of the topics that we will be looking at. Is there sufficient chairs? There's some up here, a couple, one there. Feel free to... We've got more chairs up here, so we need some more back there. I'll get a couple more. Okay, sorry. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a little bit of time here to make room for some people. Would you please sit down? Okay, let's look over this uh, summary of the kind of the goals that we have. First of all, the series is to take a biblical look at the view of family, how God's designed it, and the function that a family can have as we look at and follow God's principles. So, who would this class affect? Let's consider whether or not this is even going to be profitable for various people that may want to attend. For the married, those who are newly married, newlyweds, and have no children, those would be profited by this class because we are going to cover parenting and we're going to look at some biblical principles of parenting as well as biblical principles of marriage. Those who have been married for a longer period of time and have no children. This will benefit them because they are able to learn biblical principles of the union of marriage and how that's lived out as Christians. Those uh, who are married and just starting a family. Those who are married 
and have children still living at home at any age. Those who have been married for a long period of time and perhaps have children that are outside the home in college or even married. Uh, those that uh, have been married and are widowed. You might say, well, how would that benefit someone that's been married and widowed? Well, we're going to look at some principles of not only how the marriage should function, but also how to help and reach out as we think of the biblical mandates from Scripture. The older women are supposed to help the younger men or women in the body to help them to learn to be loving wives at home. So this would be beneficial for that of mentoring. And I want to encourage those here that come under that category to perhaps bear with us here and see how this may be able to reflect to be able to benefit others from the knowledge of these truths from God's Word. Those who have been married and are divorced. That's a hard thing for a person to be in, but we want to learn what is, how does God provide in that kind of a situation and how does one live under that uh, difficult circumstance. Those who are single and may stay single. Uh, not everyone is called to get married. Not everyone does get married. So we want to look at the biblical aspect of what about singleness? Sometimes people don't even look at life in that, from that viewpoint. But then we have those who are single and hope someday to be married. Now, there may be quite a few in that category here. And I hope during this class that we can view this as a manner of being able to determine what type of spouse that they would be looking for. And so I'm going to try to approach that from a biblical standpoint and contact, contrast that with, with the typical worldly view of how to pick a spouse. So this would be very beneficial for the youth or those that are in an unmarried state that hope someday to be married. So some of the topics that we're going to consider in this lesson this morning, we're going to be examining where did the institution of marriage begin? And what was the design of marriage? <clears throat> then uh, we're going to be looking at the husband's role in marriage. What's his function how does he carry out that responsibility? Well, you might say, well, if I'm not married, what difference does that make? It makes a lot of difference. For those uh, young women who may be seeking a husband, she needs to understand what this role is. What is the role of a husband? And what to look for in a man. Also, it's greatly beneficial for us as husbands to have a better biblical perspective. And I dare say that uh, none of us uh, measure up to the standard that God has given. But it is our desire 
to learn more of what that standard consists of and to, by God's grace, strive to attain that so that we might honor our wives and also honor God's word in the process and bring glory to him. We're going to be considering the wife's role in marriage. Now, this is extremely important for wives. It's extremely important for mothers. It's extremely important for those young women that are considering marriage. Once you learn that role, you may reconsider. Now, why are these older marrieds laughing at that statement? (laughs) Perhaps it's similar to, uh, I listened to a broadcast this week, and it spoke of uh, a man in Italy who was incarcerated for disposing of some materials that were uh, prohibited to be disposed of, some kind of uh, material that was considered hazardous. So they incarcerated him. He went before the judge. This was in Sicily. And the judge, wanting to be lenient, because this was obviously a family man, he had never had any prior convictions of anything, so... He said, I'm going to sentence you to three months of house arrest. You have to remain under the uh, remands of this court in house arrest. And that was going to be his sentence because the judge wanted to be lenient. Now, this just transpired this week. And so less than a week later, the man that was convicted appealed to his attorney to have another hearing by the judge. When he went back to the judge, uh, the judge was a bit curious as to why this man would come back when he was so lenient with him. And he says, Your Honor, I plead with you. Please put me in jail. (laughs) And the judge was perplexed by that statement, but this is what the man did. He said, Why are you asking me to put you in jail. He says, I can't stand it. My wife has nothing but bicker every time I enter the house. And every day, for all day long, all she does is is yell at me and she's mad at me because of what I've done. Please, Your Honor, place me in jail. Well, it may seem humorous, but the judge said, you know, I've been lenient to you on one occasion, but not for a second occasion. Go back get things right with your wife, and work it out. Well, we may think that as humorous, but oftentimes we, we fall so short of the full understanding of what marriage should be and could be because we do, do not realize that most of what people have, I mean, many of us come to Christ out of a family that, there was no Christian heritage. So we don't necessarily have role models. I would say that many of us here today uh, come into that category. So where do people look? Oftentimes to the world. And unfortunately, when you do so, it's a perversion of what marriage should and could be. So we want to be able to have a clear understanding and a clear picture of what God's plan is and how we are to live that out. 
So another category we're going to look at is uh, communicate, uh, resolving conflicts, uh, dealing with difficulties in marriage. Now, I know that there's no one here that's ever had difficulties in marriage, so we'll be brief in that category. Um, I'm being facetious. We all struggle with conflicts in marriage. So we want to learn how to deal with conflicts in a biblical way. Now, for those that aren't married, and say some of our uh, people here that have been married and are widowed or by themselves at this point in time, uh, this is a helpful uh, approach to understanding just relationships. As we understand relationships and how God wants us to be able to deal with conflict, it's going to help us to understand how we uh, can be confronted, how we can communicate, and how we can work through in a biblical resolve with somebody we have a conflict with. So those are the basic understandings. Having said that, we oftentimes, and Scripture gives us understanding of that, there's oftentimes where one of the spouse will get saved and the other one doesn't. So there may be a, a marriage in which one spouse is unsaved and the other is. So we're going to look at that and how do we live in that circumstance and still honor God in the relationship. We're going to uh, be dealing with what to look for, as I already mentioned, in a spouse. Who is that Mr. Right for those young women who are considering Marriage, we're going to consider who is that misright for those young men that may consider marriage at some point in the future. We're going to look at the aspect of raising children and some basic guidelines there from a biblical perspective. Uh, also, preparing our children to leave uh, the empty nest. How do we do so? Uh, we're also going to be learning how to help troubled marriages. I mentioned that briefly before. Those of us here are all called to come alongside those that are in a snare. So from a biblical perspective, we're all called to minister to others. It isn't a matter of, well, we need to have a counseling degree, we need to have great uh, understanding or be in a place of a role in church in which we can do so within the body of Christ. No, God's called us all, but we need to understand what God's Word says in regards to coming alongside. When we look at counseling from a biblical perspective, basically it is discipleship. Discipleship is learning what God has said to believers and imparting those truths to others. So I'm very thankful there's a fairly uh, substantial group of women here within our body who have been going to counseling class in Spokane the last two years, and I'm just thrilled because they are teaching biblical principles of counseling. 
And these women are expending their time and resources in order to study and to equip better themselves to be able to minister to others. So it's always needed in a body to have women counselors for women, men counselors for men. We're also going to look at uh, sexuality in marriage. What God has given us in marriage in that realm. And also we're going to consider uh, sexuality and singleness. How does one deal with that in this day and age? Because God's principles are timeless. We're going to examine that on how a Christian should live. And then, last of all, we're going to consider the family and how a Christian implements their beliefs within the structure of the family nucleus. So that's kind of in brief what we're going to try to cover. So I hope that uh, those of you that uh, would uh, benefit, perhaps, would be able to bear with us on this. I think uh, when I told Mr. Dave that it was going to be a class of maybe 10 weeks, he said, well, he said, maybe be a little longer than that, but we'll see. I'm hoping 10 to 12 weeks, but that depends on um, if there's a lot of interaction or questions that are brought up that we need to bring to light. So let's go to the Lord before we begin here. And uh, we want to examine now what God's Word has for us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your Word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us instruction from your Word on how to live this life, whether in singleness or in marriage. We have everything we need for life and godliness through the wisdom of your Word. And we can only apply these truths by your grace, but we thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit for those who know you to give us the power and the ability to understand and to practice those things which you've called us to do. We ask now that you'd guide us, that you'd enable us to have a deeper understanding, and that we would be able to begin to implement some of these truths into our lives. And we just pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So before we consider the concept of God's design, I want to kind of bring you up contemporarily as to how marriage and family is being attacked today. We may think, well, yeah, there's a lot of things that come against marriage, but I don't think we really understand how powerful the battle is against the family unit as designed by God. There are attacks from universities. There are attacks in many forms. One of them, uh, divorce is becoming almost epidemic, even among Christians. In the early 20th century, uh, a census revealed that one out of 500 Christian families may experience divorce. Today, what do you think that may be? What's the ratio in Christian marriage and divorce? Anybody? 
Same as the world. That's correct, Don. It's one out of every two marriages has the potential of ending in divorce. Right. As Don pointed out here, because of the downturn in the economy, some have just tolerated remaining in their marriage or people have just moved in without being married, just for the sake of economics. So either way, it's still breaking down the essence of God's perfect design. Homosexuality is another big attack against the Judeo-Christian marriage. The homosexual agenda is being promoted worldwide. Now, why do you suppose that is? Because of political viewpoints? How many of you were back with us in Romans chapter 1? Okay. So, what did we find in Romans 1? What was the cause, the essence, of breaking down man's concept of proper proper sexual uh, design by God. What was the moral breakdown and what was the reason that homosexuality has even entered in to the human race? I know that was two and a half years ago, <laughs> but I know that it will come back to you. It was because man, when he denies God, and if he continues to do so, God will turn him over to a reprobate mind. And because of that perversion, men have sought men and women after women. It's a perversion of what God has designed because they have rejected the God of the universe. The feminist movement. That's one that continues and it continues to escalate its attack on marriage from the Judeo-Christian marriage. A former prominent person in the feminist movement by the name of Kate Millett wrote a book called Sexual Politics. In the book, she states that the family must go because it oppresses and enslaves women. There was another woman, a leader amongst the organization called the National Organization for Women. Her name is T. Grace Atkinson. She seeks to eliminate all sex, all marriage, all motherhood, and all love. I would say that was a pretty comprehensive goal. She states that the, fam <coughs> that the family... And marriage is legalized servitude. And that the family is the basis of all human oppression. That's the view of some of the leaders in the women's liberation and feminist movement. Of course, these are warped and pathetic views of what marriage and family is. And yet, it's 
becoming common and part of today's society. The children's rights movement. This movement has separated and tore down the family unit. That is where a child can bring a legal injunction against their parent because maybe their parent told them to clean their room or whatever it was, and they can file litigation, and there's a group that supports that, and as a consequence, that's a greater effect on the tearing down of the family. There's a British author who wrote a book called The Death of the Family. He's a British physician, and he suggests that the family should be done away with because its primary primarily a conditioning device for the Western imperialistic worldview. That's from a prominent uh, physician in Britain. We have uh, people who hold various views against the traditional family. Some of these are fostered and actually have their most powerful propagation in our universities. They start out with educating or re-educating the youth. And when the youth reach the place of university status and become professors, then they continue to propagate this philosophy, which is the tearing down of the Judeo-Christian family. <clears throat> There's a, there was a medical professor, excuse me, professor at the Harvard. University. His name was Dr. Amon Nikolai, and he made some interesting observations about the tendency to destroy families. He said, because of this great tendency, uh, this is going to devastate our society as we know it. He cites that married women with children working outside the home uh, leave no parental uh, guidance for their children. The nomadic nature of our society, families constantly moving, never getting any roots. Uh, some of it caused by economic downturn. Some of it caused just because of the restlessness and the desire for new frontiers. The dominance of television in the home. The lack of parental oversight in the home. By the way, this man wasn't coming at this with a Christian viewpoint. This was just a clinical or a, a medical doctors who was a professor making a general observation of anthropology, what's happening in our country. Uh, the lack of controls in the home, which is reproduced in society. The moral decline and confusion about sexuality. There's a lack of communication in families and divorce rampant. All of these things, he says, are threatening to the very lives that we live. He states that these trends will incapacitate the family. They'll destroy its integrity, cause its members to suffer great emotional conflict, and they will become an intolerable burden to society. In his appraisal, he says this. 
that the quality of the family, excuse me, family will continue to deteriorate, producing a society where there will be higher incidence of mental illness, higher than ever before. He estimates that 90% of the hospitals will be filled with people who have mental problems. This illness will be characterized by what? A lack of self-control. Crimes of violence will increase. And even those within the family. Rates of suicides will rise. And immorality will increase in widespread experimentation in Immorality will cause more and more sexual perversion. Now, again, this man was not looking at it from a biblical perspective necessarily, though he had a very astute appraisal of where our society is. He just made these uh, quotes in one of his writings. So there's no question that the family is under great attack not only in our country, but throughout the world. People want to redefine in any kind of term that they come up with what a family unit is. <clears throat> yes, Don. That's a good point. Uh, isolation, it will breed all kinds of difficulties. Yes. So we're living in a history when young people in our society are growing up without any sense of moral compass or social skills. There's crime and moral chaos. My son, uh, he's involved in gangs in Southern California. Um, I should make clarification on that. <laughs> He's a detective for the Los Angeles Police Department who works the gang unit. So he sees this rampant. And I asked him one time, I said, well, how, what is the mindset of the average person in a gang? Because they start uh, preparing for that gang activity and uh, early as eight, nine years old, and they could be what they call jumped in a gang by 10 years old. So he uh, has a pretty good perspective of the mindset. One of the things is they have no concept of family. None. Many of them are without parental parents. I mean, many of them uh, are just on their own at a very young age. So what becomes their family is the gang. And they set the standards 
for their whole moral compass. So their view of life, they have very shallow view of the sanctity of life. In fact, they're ready to give up their life at the age of 10 or so, so that they can be worthy of joining a gang. So as we understand this happening in our society, it all comes back to one thing. And that is the breakdown, the moral breakdown, first of all, rejecting God and then rejecting God's principles of what the family should and could be. We have uh, psychiatrists, uh, social workers, uh, psychologists, some that call themselves family counselors. They're desperately trying to find out how to answer some of these pandemic breakdowns of human relationships. I uh, counsel this man. By the way, if I ever use a counseling uh, example, it's never with anybody in this vicinity. Um, I'd be counseling down south or even counseling people out of state. This particular man was out of state. Uh, He wanted to have some biblical counseling and so we began to meet. He felt it necessary to coincide with that biblical counseling to go to a psychologist. And I figured, well, that's okay. I'll still have an opportunity to witness to him and give him God's truth. But after we were counseling for a few months, I I said, you know, I don't really want to get into what your counselor and you converse about. I don't want to enter into that realm. But um, how does the counsel you're getting from the psychologist bear out with the biblical counseling? He goes, well, they're a little different. And I said, oh, really? And so I began to find out that the secular counselor, the psychologist, was coming at his particular marital problem from a totally unbiblical perspective. Recommending that he must feel sorry for himself, that people don't understand him. You have to continue to build your self-esteem. All these kind of lies. Taking away his responsibility to his own spouse and to his own children so that he could justify his lifestyle. Well, those two collided at some point. But what I'm trying to say here is that society recognized the breakdown of human relationships. And they're trying desperately to find answers. Peggy. Right. That's a good point. Did you hear what Peggy said? Some of these uh, children that are 
uh, confused and perhaps without family, some of them in gangs, some of them not, are being uh, potential converts now for the Muslim religion. And that's very dominant now in prisons. I've worked in uh, prison ministry as well as jail ministry, and it's becoming very, very uh, dominant in prisons today where the Muslims are trying to make converts in there and followers because they bring forth their teaching, which brings them into somewhat of a family. So that's one area also that people are being drawn away into cults because they don't have any sense of belonging. As Christians, we're living in a very, very unique time. It's interesting that God has placed us here during this time in history. So we have a great opportunity, though things seem chaotic around us, we have the center of God's moral compass with his word. So though things seem chaotic and like everything is breaking down, there is a great need for understanding, well, what does God have for us in the midst of all this? <clears throat> Within the church, and I say that not in a sense necessarily uh, evangelical realm, but in uh, the church and even liberal realm, they have seen this decline and breakdown of families. And they have, for the last two or three decades, tried to address it. If you go into a Christian bookstore, you can find shelves that are replete with books on marriage, books on family, there's DVDs, there's all kinds of uh, information and volumes of material, but it doesn't seem to have impacted our church, the evangelical church, or the body of Christ, in that it's not really changed the marriage-divorce ratio. So, having considered that, um, Perhaps some of those books are battling the wrong battlefronts. Perhaps some of them are taking the wrong means to address family. Because if we go from either the philosophical or uh, the world's view and try to merge it or even integrate it with Scripture, we can have a breakdown in what those principles actually are. So what we want to look at is the family as defined by God, which is the heart and soul of society. We must come to understand the blessedness of marriage, the blessedness of children, as it's unfolded in Scripture. Um, I want to say this because... Uh, Marcia and I have had the, um, I guess, experience and blessing of being able to work with couples for a number of years. I won't say how many, but it's been a few. And I just want to say this as a word of encouragement. Marcia and I had some tremendous struggles in our marriage. And it wasn't until I was given, first of all, became a Christian, and second of all, given some biblical principles of how 
uh, a marriage should be, that I was able to see really what God said about marriage. I've seen and been able to be privileged to work with couples, as Marsha and I worked together, some couples that were in deep trouble at the brink of divorce. In fact, they'd already planned and gotten attorneys. And as a last-ditch effort, they didn't have any money to get counseling or anything. So they said, well, you guys, can you talk to us? And we spent about uh, close to a year with that couple. And today, this was over two and a half decades ago, I guess. Uh, today, uh, I met with uh, the young man, who's now an older man, uh, a while back. And he said, you know what? He said, uh, God's word really turned our marriage around. They were on the brink of divorce. They were totally in bankruptcy. Their finances were terrible. Marsha worked with him on a biblical principles of stewardship and some financial things and worked with a wife in that area as well as ministering to her what her role was as a wife. I worked with the husband, but as it turned out, their children were quite small. I think the youngest was maybe two years old and one wasn't born yet and the other was maybe four. Now those children are married and serving the Lord. This couple is serving the Lord, and uh, it was really a blessing to hear that because I knew where they had come from. And it wasn't anything that was really magical. It was God's Word that they applied. They both humbled themselves and recognized that they were in sin. And as they did so and applied the truths of God's Word, their marriage started becoming transformed to now where they're a testimony to many uh, people and they minister to couples. This is, uh, we've had several uh, blessings to be able to watch those scenarios, but it does take the essence of not only understanding God's word and understanding how do we apply that, but it takes to begin with humility and repentance to recognize that we are in sin here. So that's where the basis of biblical counseling begins. Some of the uh, secular studies in the medical field of human behavior, uh, which this uh, pastor was talking to a seminary graduate, and he mentioned that uh, he was a graduate Uh, with the masters from some university and he had done some studies um, in anthropology and some of the medical studies currently are saying that a child begins to form standards at the age of six years old and by 12 they have already formulated their standards and their philosophy of living. Uh, it's interesting that the secular world would acknowledge that or make that even that assertion. Because even in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's an illustration in the Gospels where a Jewish child by the age of 12 could be ready to become a son of law. 
So we have to understand that a child is very strongly influenced from those ages. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that a child can't change at an older age. I was close to 40 before the Lord revealed himself to me. That's older than some of your parents, uh, some of the youth. And so I understand that God takes us each <clears throat> and brings us at a certain different time in life. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we don't lose hope by some of these statistics. <clears throat> we don't lose hope because of what's happening all around us. Our hope is in Christ. And so, Ron. Yeah, I'm not sure on that, Rob. Um, It may be. Uh, They did, this is all based on that uh, secular study was done by physicians, psychiatrists, and it was clinical studies that they applied to come to this consensus that children start formulating these standards and philosophies at six, and then by 12, they've already established it. So that could be uh, greatly influenced in that homosexual realm where they try to claim that they're born that way and then they realize that it's such an age. So it's all a perversion of truth and yet they use that as a tool to get people to turn to that. Excuse me. If children who are raised in Christian families are raised up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they're taught moral standards. They know how to deal, or they learn to deal with temptations. In the world, they wouldn't have any clue, nor would they have the ability or power to do so. In a Christian structure or family unit, we have there the potential of being able to train up our children in the way they should go. There's a divine pattern uh, given in Scripture in which Christian parents deal with, or parents in a biblical model, principles of marriage and how to oversee their children. And as we look at that model, we're going to see how blessed marriage design is. We fall so short sometimes of really examining what God has designed in family relationships. We don't quite get the picture because there's no model we can look at 
in the world. It's only when we go into Scripture that we can understand or learn what that model is. So, let me ask this question. Where did the Institute of Marriage begin? In the garden. Okay. So we have to see what God's design was and begin to look at that design as we go back to Genesis. So let's turn, if you would, those of you that uh, have your scriptures, turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'm just going to cite this text and begin to look at it, and we're, we'll open it up in more fuller next time. Now, God has uh, this, as we look at this chapter 2 and verse 18, says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now, we've got to think about this. Um, first of all, this is brought up after the creation was already established in chapter 1. And God has already said that everything that he created was good. Has he not? All of creation was created by this time. And now, God has created man. Now, man was Adam. And was man sinless at that time when God created him? Those in the Sunday school, please don't answer. From the adult Sunday school, I'm addressing this to you. Is there any evidence that man uh, was sinless at the time of creation? It's not a trick question. Did man, was he a sinner? Was Adam a sinner when God created him? Okay, good. No, Adam was created sinless. He was without sin. And so was Eve. So before the fall, there was perfect communion between Adam and God. God communed with Adam and he gave Adam a responsibility. The responsibility was to name the animals. Adam did so as a responsible man. And then he was yet to find anyone that was a companion to him. So God saw this, having already known it, and said it is not good. For man to be alone. God makes this statement of truth to then a man who had not yet done anything to put a barrier between him and God. So he was able to commune with God and yet God still said it wasn't good for him to be alone. He was created higher than the animals and yet lower than the angels. And he was sinless. He had responsibilities. He lived in a perfect world. 
Wasn't any weeds even at that time. No sickness. <clears throat> no disease. So he lived in a perfect environment. He was a sinless man. And yet God said, it's not good for man to be alone. <clears throat> so, let's consider this. If God said that, he was going to unfold something here that were some of the purposes for marriage. Purposes for the original marriage of that of Adam and Eve and the purposes uh, for marriage for all mankind. The pattern is being set right here. <clears throat> and the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to them. This is the one statement about marriage that is repeated four times. First, in Genesis, prior to the fall, was addressed before man's sin. And then three times after the fall. We have it repeated in Matthew 19.5, Mark 10.7 and 8, and then again in Ephesians 5.31. God makes this statement a truth to them, and yet this man was still without sin. So what are the purposes of God in marriage? Well, there's three of them that I'm going to give us to begin with. And uh, I'll begin next week in this because we're running short of time. Now, I want you to understand something. We, I gave a lot of statistics here when we first started this class. And if we focus on those statistics, we could become discouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to understand something. The whole purpose of this class is to bring our focus on what God has designed and how we can be brought into that realm of bliss with the full understanding that God is the one working in us. He is the one that wills us to do according to his good pleasure. So we have to understand there are principles. I can give you principles all day long. It won't mean anything. It's when we recognize those truths that we really humble ourselves and embrace those truths and become doers of God's word, that it starts transforming us from the inside out. Whether you're married, single, divorced, widowed, it doesn't matter. All these principles are going to apply at all aspects of our lives to all forms of relationships. So I'm hoping and praying that God would... Uh, bring forth some encouragement. I'm really thrilled to have youth and some of the parents of the youth here. And I'm just uh, very thankful that we're having this opportunity. We will resume our study in Romans. As I said, we'll pick up in chapter 9 and try to finish that, uh, the remainder of that book within three years. Lord willing, if I'm still here. Someone else can pick it up if I'm not. So let's, uh, I want you to, Look at that outline. If there's any questions you have, you can prepare those questions. Uh, I want you to also be prepared to interact here. I'm not uh, wanting to have so much uh, lecture class. I want this to be a class which we can engage the Word and be able to see how that practically applies to our lives. 
So let's close. Father, we do thank you today for this privilege of being able to look at your word and your principles that you have given us that are timeless and eternal. We thank you that you are sovereign over our lives. We just pray, Lord, this day that you would guide and direct us, that we might have a greater understanding of who you are and how you designed the family to be, as well as how our personal relationships are to be lived out. We just give you praise because of who you are, what you've done. We look forward to the time of being able to worship you in song and praise and by the proclamation of your word. We just pray that you guide us, minister to us, and that we be responsive to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.